Ask almost anyone, the world over, what is most important to them in life, and I can pretty much guarantee you that one of the top three responses will be my family. Family is fundamental to who we are. That mixed up bunch of sometimes dysfunctional human beings shapes who we are as a person and has a strong influence on where our future is headed. Funny how we take them for granted so often. This is Signs of the Times Radio with Kent Kingston. Well, it's absolutely fantastic to be on the Zoom with Bjorn Kalman, currently from the Philippines, living in the Philippines. How are you, Bjorn? Hey, Kent. Yeah, I'm doing okay. Thanks. Really great to talk to you as well. This is our uh, first podcast together. Yes, absolutely. But you've actually been a regular writer for Signs of the Times magazine for quite a while, one, one of our regulars, which is great. Thanks for that. Thank you. Yeah, I, I've been enjoying it. And obviously, podcast is a different format, but especially these days, it makes a lot of sense. to Everyone's doing stuff on Zoom, I guess. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, they say the, uh, the share price for Zoom is doing very, very well <laughs> lately. I know. I wish, I wish I had some shares in Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. So, Bjorn, you've written an article for us in this month's Signs of the Times magazine, the, the May edition. It's called The Love of Family. And I think we get a really clear picture from not just this article, but other articles that you've written that family is really important to you. You call yourself a digital nomad. You're sort of moving around from one country to another with your your wife, Jamie, and and your daughter, who's what, you know, preschool age? Yeah, she's she's kind of at that at that point. We haven't formally put her in school yet, little journey. Mm-hmm. But it will happen soon now. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. So t- tell us a, about how does family work when you are traveling like that, when you are changing countries, you know, every couple of years? It must be a challenge, but it must be special in some ways. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's a great question. I, I get asked that several, several times a year, I feel. And it's actually a little bit more dramatic than that, this digital nomad thing. So basically what that means is you're working remotely, kind of like everyone is now, but from around the world and and digital nomads are are known for, you know, basically being nomadic, traveling, traveling around. We do, we do two or three countries a year. Yeah. So right now we're in the Philippines. We we weren't intending to be in the Philippines this long, but we basically got caught by the coronavirus and the lockdowns and the travel restrictions. So we're here. When you're thinking of, you know, your health, you know, this is a mm-hmm. health crisis we're facing right now. And suddenly it becomes really important as to, you know, what the quality of the health system is like, you know, where, where yeah. you are. I mean, in Australia, we, we've got off pretty easy. I think we've had uh, just less than 100 people die so far. Yeah. What, what about the Philippines? How's the health system coping there? Is there any sense that it's struggling to keep up or the you know, intensive care is overwhelmed or, or has it not got to that stage or unlikely to get to that stage? The official numbers still have the deaths at under, well under 1,000 uh, the last I saw. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, it's obviously higher than Australia, but a lot lower than, than many countries. Yeah. And so that's, that's encouraging. I say official because people do definitely wonder about the numbers that are, mm-hmm. that are put out there, whether, you know, how accurate they are. And not just because, you know, you know nursing homes are catching up with their reporting or whatever. It's, we definitely think there could be underreporting by mm-hmm. uh, 
hospitals and agencies and this and that. I've been following the news. I don't see this overcapacity issue that you have, say, in the UK right now and, and parts of the US, you know, huge worries about ventilators. I think that's part of the reason that they've been so strict in the Philippines, mm-hmm. because they know that the health system basically would not be able to keep up with those kinds of, with, with like a tsunami of, you know, admissions to do with COVID-19. So that to me partly explains why they are so strict because they basically have to be, you know, mm-hmm. in some ways. Yeah. Now this uh, leads us, I guess, to, to your article, Bjorn, mm-hmm. because you, you talk about how a few years back now you were living in Thailand, you know, right. another, another Southeast Asian country there. Your, your wife, Jamie, was pregnant, which is obviously very exciting for you guys, you know, mm-hmm. first, first baby on the way. But early exactly. in the pregnancy, some complications developed. So there you are in Thailand. I mean, is the health system in Thailand, you know, similarly the, the sort of place where, you know, you wouldn't go to hospital if you didn't absolutely have to? And, and, and what happened there when you did have to go to hospital? In a similar way... You, you do, yeah, you do basically avoid hospital if you can. It, it, in, in Thailand's actually more of a, uh, more than the Philippines, is sort of advertised as a medical tourism country. Right, um, yeah, so, yeah. So actually, they do have really solid facilities, and the Philippines does too, but more so Thailand. Mm-hmm. And so what you do there basically is that you, you basically end up paying quite a bit if you want really, you know, sort of, developed world care. So yeah, yeah it, 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 gets, it gets pretty pricey. And we, obviously, we were having a baby. So we were like, you know what, we're going we're gonna to have to do what we're going to do here. And, you know, basically get the best care possible. Our, our issue was that we were first time parents, you know, parents or parents to be or hoping to be. Mm-hmm. And we had a really, really difficult pregnancy. Within weeks, we thought we were going to lose the baby. Mm-hmm. It was terrifying. It was really scary. And our first emergency, our, I wrote about actually in, in the article, we ended up in, in just the, the hospital next door because we were panicked. We didn't really know what to do. We weren't researched enough. So we yeah. just rushed over. We actually walked over to the hospital close by. And that was not, not one of those wonderful hospitals where, you know, that, that attract a lot of uh, medical tourism. It was just, it was just like the local hospital. Yeah. And yeah, hor- horrible sort of reception there i mean by by our physician i remember i was i was feeling really desperate after the first sort of ultrasound and and i asked him you know what are the chances of of my baby making it of us actually having successful pregnancy mm. and he just told me so like a, like a robot he was like 50 50 and then he tried to offload us to whatever other hospital that would take us basically so that mm-hmm. that was a punch in the gut and and anyone that's gone through that knows what that feels like you know to to receive bad news and on top of that to have you know for it to be like really bad bad side, bedside manner mm-hmm. that was really rough i don't think that describes uh, southeast asian care uh, that experience mm-hmm. I, I you know we we later got a really great doctor but that was really really hard and super scary and just left us with with a lot of sadness you know because our horizon was, it just, yeah, we lost a lot of hope from that mm, conversation, mm, basically. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this happened what, fairly early in the pregnancy, what, second trimester or something, like month four or something? Or no, something? no, it was, it, was, it was the first trimester. Oh, uh, really? Wow, okay. I, I mean, I, I, my, my sister, for example, is pregnant right now. Her, her pregnancy just sounds so much better than what we had to go through. I mean, in terms of, <laughs> in terms of like the, the, you know, a lot less angst, I mean, we were literally worried at just about every stage that we would lose the baby. 
you know? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that early on to think that you're going to lose your, your child after, you're, after you're, <laughs> you get all excited was, was really hard. So no, we, we learned very early on about the complications. I remember our, um, my brother-in-law, Jamie's brother is a physician and he said, he said, well, if you have this baby, it's going to be a miracle baby. <laughs> That's what wow. he told us. There you yeah. go. Right. So that put it in context. Yeah, yeah. So going through that, I mean, obviously, you know, we, we know the end of the story. You, you have a beautiful little girl now, which, as mm-hmm. you say, is is very much seems like a, a miracle, you know, from from the perspective of looking Seriously, back. yeah. But mm-hmm. as you were sort of in the middle of those weeks and those months of not being sure of, you know, Jamie having to be on bed rest, you know, for week after week after week, mm-hmm. what, what did that do to, to your relationship, to, to your marriage? Was this, I mean, obviously this was a challenge. Did it bring you closer together or did you discover, you know, fractures you, you didn't know were there? Yeah, no, I mean, it's a difficult period for anyone, the pregnancy, and obviously, there are going to be there are going to be good days and bad days. But the overall trend was that we really, I mean, we had to basically join together to to get through this. I mean, it was just emotionally, you know, physical needs on many different levels. I became like the supermarket runner. I was they knew me so well at our local supermarket because you know if your wife is pregnant, basically, often the from from my you know experience of this, you know, sort of what they eat, what they want to eat changes from day to day. And, you know, there are all, all these cravings and things. And so it, it was fun in a way in that, in that it, you know, the shopping list changed so drastically and, and, you know, going to the hospital visits, the intensity of that experience definitely drew us together. You know, we still look back at those days and are grateful that we got through. But yeah, it, it definitely strengthened rather than hurt the marriage. I don't know if you've heard of this term of, it's called anti-fragility. It's, okay, it's, no, I haven't. It's, yeah, it's this uh, modern philosopher's name, uh, name's uh, Nassim Taleb. He's, he has this term and, and it basically, it, it talks about how, how humans or different entities, not, not just humans, but how mm-hmm. basically disaster, we react to them in different ways. So mm-hmm. fragility is obvious, you know, you just kind of break like a pot and then you can have like just the kind of the, the strong man approach where it's like you're just going to absorb it and, and mm. get through somehow, you know, just like through some way, get through. But then there's also the, the anti-fragile approach where basically difficulties make you, make you stronger, right? Mm. So they mm. not, just, not just kind of, you don't just survive it, you, you actually improve, you find a way to thrive in it. And, and that really is what happened for the marriage, for our relationship. And I'm definitely not happy that we went through all this and it was genuinely terrifying, mm. but we, we did grow stronger and, and I'm a believing person and I think God helped us through that. Well, yeah, that, you've actually anticipated my next question because I was, because mm. you are a person of faith, as you say. How did this experience you know, affect your faith? Did, did you find yourself discovering new things or asking new questions or, you know, being angry at God or, you know, just holding on, <laughs> you know, yeah. through, all, through all the unknowns? That's a great question. I, I was not angry. I was not angry at God. Like, I've heard that reaction from, from friends and from, from others when, when things get, you know, extremely tough in life and all of us have those chapters. I haven't, I haven't had that yet where I get really angry at God. Like that hasn't been, been a thing, but certainly confusion and fear and, you know, really begging God for things to be different, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I remember after that initial 
experience in, you know, when I talked to the doctor and he told me the 50-50 thing, I was sitting, we were waiting to pay basically to in the billing area, the waiting area. <laughs> and I saw people laughing and smiling and anyone that's been in Thailand know that, that you know, that's, that's a huge part of the culture. They're very sort of happy, cheerful people. Mm. But you know, that, that irrational part of your brain thinks, what, what are they, you know, what are they, could they possibly be happy about at this point? You know what I mean? Like, why are they, this is rude that they're even smiling. You know, you have that, you have that reaction and you, um, yeah, you, t- you know, if, if you're kind of a praying person, you take that to God as well. And it's like, mm. it's awfully dark. Like, you know, the, please get us through this, you know, like if there's any way, you know, please help our baby to survive and, and mm. my wife to survive this whole ordeal. It, it really strengthened our, our dependence on God, you know, our belief that he cares about, you know, big things and small things and, and wants us to live a fulfilled and meaningful life. It's not always a happy life, but knowing that you can, trust God that I definitely grew in that belief from that experience. Mm, mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. Sure. So as you, I guess this was the topic of of your article to a certain extent, as you look through the Bible, you know, you're reading, you know, about all sorts of topics and all sorts of things. Do you see the topic of, of family, you know, family relationships, the identity of a family coming up through your, through your reading of the Bible? What, What do you see there? Yeah, I mean, I see it in many in many different ways when I read the Bible. I mean, really from even the beginning, you know, like the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, there's this text in Genesis 2, it's verse 18, and it, it basically says that it's it's not good to be alone. It's, mm-hmm. it's, I think the, the literal, the, the word for word is it's not good for the man to be alone. Mm-hmm. And obviously that, that's applied to women, to children, to whatever. Yeah, and, we're, and we're, kind of, we're social animals, aren't we? That's what it comes down to. We're, we're social beings. Exactly. We we crave we crave that connection. So whether you know whether it's the marriage connection or it's like your connection to your dad or mom or or, or whatever the situation is, we need other people. We we, mm. we really crave that. It's it's not it's not good to be alone. I, I don't think this is like the 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 text you know the the where it says oh well everyone needs to be in a romantic relationship or marriage or like that I I don't mm-hmm. take that from it but I do think we need community as as human beings right mm-hmm. I mean during this COVID nineteen thing we're seeking out community online right where through uh, Zoom or whatever else it is mm-hmm. so so I I really do think that that's maybe one of the earliest indications in the Bible of the importance of family of the importance of community of you know connection yeah and. Yeah. And, you know, so, so God kind of meant for families to be, to be a reality in, in this world. And, and that's, that's the way we, you know, that's the way we survive as, as a human race. And, and we thrive off of that sense of connection. So, yeah, as, as early as that, I definitely see family and relationship being, you know, a really important thing in the Bible. I think of another, another area as well that speaks perhaps a bit more directly to the really tough experience I described in that article yeah. in Proverbs, Proverbs 17, 17, there's this text that talks about, and it's, of course, Proverbs was, was written by Solomon, who most people think of as, as uh, the wisest man that ever lived. And he mm-hmm. says, a friend, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. <laughs> mm. You know, and and there there you see you know the power of family relationships and and what they're really designed for. You know what I mean? 
sure, it's great to celebrate the good times, and, and we all love it when we when we have those. But man, you know, when it's when you're in the sort of the the bleak winter phase of life, or when things are you know the darkest night, you know, in in times of adversity, family can come through, and it really seems here from the text that Bible that the, the God wants us to be there for each other and has designed family for times like that, you know, to get, to get us through. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's been my experience. Certainly the families are not perfect. I'm definitely not a perfect, you know, son, brother, husband, uh, father, but I do try to be there for my family in the tough times. And I appreciate that they are there for me too. Yeah. So, something I find really interesting beyond, I mean, you started with Genesis there, you know, the story of the creation of the world, mm-hmm. the first man and woman, you know, Adam and Eve. And it's interesting that Genesis has God, well, first of all, Genesis says, you know, the man and woman were, were naked and had no, you know, sense of shame. Exactly. Which is like, whoa, like even today, it's like, okay, really, they were nudists? Okay. And then, and, and then God says, you know, be fruitful and multiply, you know, fill the earth. He, he says, you know, he, here's food to eat, here's trees, you know, every kind of tree, it's good to eat. Right. And then he says, here's each other, you know, you're naked, go ahead, make babies. I don't know, sometimes we get the idea that, you know, the Bible and I guess a Christian perspective on sexuality is very negative, you know, that it's dirty, that it's terrible. But I don't mm-hmm. see that in Genesis. I, I see this being very much of, of God's plan. Do you, do you see where I'm going to, coming from? Oh, absolutely. And, and I think, I mean, honestly, I think it's, it's a horrible distortion of the Bible to think that uh, human sexuality is a bad thing. I, you know, it's obviously an issue of, of survival for, for starters. I mean, uh, you know, God created Adam and Eve to, to kind of multiply. So, I mean, that's, that's, you know, that's a positive thing right there. And then the, there are also really beautiful descriptions in the Bible. We were just, we were just talking about Solomon, the, you know, mm. a second ago, the song of Solomon uh, is another book. Some of us might, you know, have come across and that, you know, that talks about love and sensuality and, and that, you know, that whole side of, of human relationships. Mm. Uh, it's quite of, explicit, of the, isn't it? It probably I've, would make, make some people even uncomfortable to read parts, parts <laughs> of it out loud, you know? I've, 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 <laughs> I've actually heard Song of Solomon described as the Bible's sealed section. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. No, exactly. It's it's like the part the part that you know parents are like you know kind of hiding from their kids sometimes maybe you know <laughs> but uh, you know early early on but no it's it's a reality and I don't think it's something that we're supposed to hide from and I think you know <laughs> this might be treading into uh, controversial territory but I, I I really do think that whenever you know, people have tried to use the Bible to justify some kind of denial of sexuality or, or some kind of weird shutdown of it. Mm. Really bad things happen, like really unhealthy mm. results come out of that, you know? Yeah, I, I do see what you're saying, Bjorna, and certainly there is a conversation out there in the culture about, you know, the dangers of repressing sexuality. Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. mean, we, we see, um, obviously, the issue that we've had with, you know, child abuse, yeah, often, exactly. often, often from celibate clergy. And there's a question of, well, you know, you oppress sexuality, it comes out in, in awful ways. Right. And, and, I, and I get that. But nevertheless, I think the Bible also doesn't paint a picture of a sexual free-for-all. The Bible does paint a picture of, you know, of, of a family structure of, of a man and a woman and, and their children. And it also, I mean, you mentioned Solomon. You know, mm. Solomon had was the biggest polygamist of all in, in the Bible. In exactly. Terms of the number of, of wives and concubines he had. 
but he said himself it didn't actually make him that happy. He was sort of he didn't deny himself any pleasure, and he says right. in the end it was all meaninglessness. And it's also it kind of backfired interesting. a little bit. Yeah, you, you look at all these situations with say, I think of like. Uh, the, the people who married uh, the men who married more than one wife, you think, wow, that'd be awesome. But no, that like time after time, it's misery and there's bickering between the wives and there's rivalry and, and there's misery. And to me, it seems the Bible doesn't just say, Hey, sexuality is a good thing. Family is a good thing. It also says, Hey, you know, we need to set some appropriate boundaries here. We need to maintain some respect. And that also seems to be an important message that comes through the Bible. Exactly. So, yeah, I, I would definitely agree with you there. So it's, you know, the first, the first message for me is, you know, sexuality was created by God and is, is, uh, is supposed to be a really good thing. But obviously, you know, with, with any, any good thing, any, any gift, you can, you can abuse it. And you're absolutely right. I mean, there are, there are a lot of examples in the Bible of, you know, well, you, you mentioned polygamy. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, I'm, trying, I'm trying to think of one situation in which it was portrayed as a good thing. You know what I mean? Like there's always, there always seems to be, there always seems to be some, you know, some kind of like jealousy or rivalry or, you know, horrible outcome, you know, for, for say the kids. A lot of people know the Joseph story, you know, mm. Joseph born to the, the favorite wife kind of thing and, and his, his brother Benjamin. And then all these other brothers are step born brothers. to the, yeah, they're the stepbrothers that are kind of less favored. And there's this huge rivalry that that ends up in a horrible situation where they basically just kind of disown their brother and sell him off sell him off as a slave i mean that's hardly your ideal outcome right and <laughs> it kind of paints a picture of what can go wrong when you don't respect the boundaries that, that the bible has as well yeah, there, there's this text that comes up sometimes when you when you talk about these these issues of boundaries and and how to navigate a positive relationship and kind of how, who to look for in, 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 a, in a relationship. Mm. Paul talks about it, Second Corinthians six fourteen, and he, he talks about not being yoked together with unbelievers. And obviously, you know, we could go deep into what that text means. But for what I would say is, it, it really talks about the importance of making God the priority in life, and. And then when you seek out a romantic relationship and when you, you know, you seek, say, out a, a marriage partner, someone that you really want to, you want to be with to make sure that you have some common ground there, you know? Yeah, yeah, I, absolutely. But that's an important thing. Previously, I was a social worker and I remember reading. Oh, really? Research. I don't know that. Yeah, okay. yeah. I remember reading some research on, you know, relationships that stay together and what are the factors and it's you know often often it is the case that opposites attract when it comes to personality type so it's not about being you know necessarily the same there but what was Mm -hmm. clear is the importance of having similar values that seems to be a really important bedrock of of a good relationship so yeah i I see what you're saying about not being unequally yoked i -hmm. I guess the other thing i see in the bible though bjorn is that yes you know, when people say biblical marriage, this biblical marriage, that you think, well, which biblical marriage are you talking about? You know, the the one right, right. That, that involved adultery or incest or or murder or polygamy. Well, mm-hmm. no, <laughs> but nevertheless, mm-hmm. there are people in those situations, and the Bible clearly depicts the the harm that that comes from you know, crossing those boundaries. But it doesn't seem to mean that God gives up on those people completely. I mean, like you say, you know, Joseph, you know, from this this blended family, you know, where his mum and his stepmum are sisters and there's all this rivalry. Mm-hmm, Nevertheless, mm-hmm. 
it seems like God has a plan for him and he goes on to do incredible things. I mean, King David, you know, goodness me, you know, adultery, murder, and then the cover up and all this sort of stuff. But, yeah. but yeah. Uh, you know, h- horrific things that, that he did. But nevertheless, it seemed that God, you know, still loved him. God offered him forgiveness. Not that there weren't consequences, you know, ongoing consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if we get the picture that if, you know, our family structure is, you know, maybe less than ideal, some of the decisions we've made in relationships are less than ideal, that that means, you know, God has wiped us out. That's not the picture I, I see in the Bible. No, de- I mean, definitely not. I mean, if it, if it were the picture, then we would all be, you know, in, in trouble, wouldn't we? I mean, I, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's just, it's just, I mean, any, even the best of families, you know, families that I, I really look up to, you know, there's always some level of dysfunction, something you wish were better. <laughs> something that <laughs> something that went you know sideways in, in life and, and sometimes it, you know sometimes it's really serious sometimes it it goes it goes deeply you know as, as I was talking about the um, unequally yoked thing you know I, I was thinking well you know well wh- what would I say to someone that already is in that situation you know it's mm. it's and, and it can be difficult when you're you're married to someone that doesn't share your your belief or maybe, maybe you've come to that belief in you know in, in, in the last few months or something and well, that's right like, how, how do you share that? That's a good thing about life, right? People change. So how do you know? How do you how do you get through that? And and how do you how do you have a really successful, happy relationship? So I mean, those are those are. I don't necessarily have the answer, other than you know, coming back to those principles that God really does care about happy marriages, about getting us through you know tough times. There's this whole you know you were talking about how you know, these difficult family stories in the Bible and how there's kind of a a redemptive part of it at, uh, where God gets us through, like the Joseph story, you know, the, mm. at the end of the story, basically he and his brothers are reunited. He and his dad are reunited. There, there's mm. kind of a happy ending, even though there's been all this pain and, and, you know, emotional and other suffering in the interim. And, mm. and so I feel like the, 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 the most positive message, you know, in the Bible is, is this, you know, that God redeems us mm. Romans five, eight, you know, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So while we're wow. still in this mess, this, you know, this horrible you know, world that we live in, you know, that we're, and, and the bad part of it comes out often. You know, I mean, we, we feel the, the pain, the suffering. Mm-hmm. God's there with us in that, in that time of suffering, whatever we're going through, you know, and, and he wants to redeem us. You know, he wants to offer us a better life now and, and, and a far, you know, superior life to come, you know, where, where we can, you know, be with him and, and kind of enjoy, enjoy that kind of connection, that kind of community, that relationship. And so, yeah, even, even when things are not perfect and the, you know, when my four-year-old screams and I feel like I'm a horrible parent and, and, uh, you know, really mess something up, there's forgiveness there. There's grace for that. There's a happier tomorrow, you know, like the, I don't know which text it is, but it says weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I often think about that. My kid is literally like screaming her head off or something. You know what I mean? Like especially during this <laughs> COVID thing where we're locked indoors all the time. You know, it's not easy on on family dynamics when you're locked in all the time. You know, like uh, basically basically on some, some kind of house arrest in some some of the countries that uh, might be listening to this. People can relate to that. But God God can get us through that too. God can get us through this really difficult difficult phase. So yeah, there is, there is redemption. There is, even when we face difficult cir- circumstances and even when we create our own difficult circumstances, God is there mm, to help us mm. out. 
Yeah, well, no, you, you make a good point there, Bjorn, that, you know, families are under particular, you know, stress right now and, and certainly... Oh, seriously. It, yeah, and certainly it's, uh, it's good to know that, you know, those of us who, who have faith can, you know, fall back on that and use that a, mm-hmm. as a source of strength. I think it's it's also great that we have in place, you know, we have extended family, we have friends, you know, we should be reaching out to them if we need to talk or we should be checking in on them to see how they are. And look, there may come a time where, uh, you know, we actually do need to access another, you know, community service where you mm. know, we can have a chat to someone for, for counselling. I'm thinking, you know, here in Australia, you know, Lifeline 131144 or, uh, or Beyond Blue, uh, there are certainly you know, family violence services out there because sadly, you know, we're seeing an uptick in uh, uh, family violence and, and conflict at, at this time. It's, you know, pr- pretty sad. Uh, yeah. It's high pressure. It is high pressure, but there mm-hmm. is help. There is help out there. And yeah, we s- certainly, you know, would like to encourage our listeners to take advantage of, of that if, if that's your situation. But thank you so much, Bjorn, for, uh, for taking the time to, to chat to us today and, and being part yeah, of thanks, Science Radio. Exactly. No, thank you. Thank you very much for uh, for having me on. It's great to it's great to chat. It's great to connect. Yeah, I, I, this is this is something that's this topic is near and dear to my heart, and and I think to you know a lot of us uh, out there listening. So, yeah, the, the hope that the hope that God can give us is is real, and it, it applies to even even the the most complicated and tough situations. So mm. that that keeps me going despite the despite the context right now, and <laughs> I appreciate the conversation. Thanks, Bjorn. And thanks for your article and and for your regular articles in science. Yeah, appreciate your regular contributions. Thanks a lot. It's a lot of fun. Today's episode was based on an article appearing in this month's Science of the Times magazine. A subscription is just $26 for 11 issues a year. To find out more, visit scienceofthetimes.org.au. Signs of the Times has been published in Australia since 1886 and is proudly produced by Adventist Media. This is an Adventist Media podcast.